Isaiah 61.10 through 62.5. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone, and um, Merry Christmas. Our, uh, our passage that we're going to be uh, looking at this morning is uh, the Old Testament reading uh, that is in Isaiah, um, starting in Isaiah 61. Um, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there, or I think it's page eight in your service sheet. The, uh, the passage uh, is, uh, is a little bit of a, a weird bit of Isaiah, but uh, before we jump into it, um, please uh, bow with me in prayer. Our Father, we come before you. We uh, thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your son uh, in this Christmas time uh, as we remember Jesus uh, coming as a infant. Um, and we also look forward to Jesus's return. We ask that your spirit would uh, guide our time together, um, draw our hearts towards you. May we uh, grow closer to you as we look into your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So our text this morning uh, in Isaiah is uh, actually a lectionary reading. So that's one of the set readings uh, for the first Sunday after Christmas. Uh, and it's a little bit of an odd reading compared with some of our more familiar Christmas texts, uh, like uh, the gospel reading from John. It can be a bit of a confusing passage, but I think it's an especially appropriate passage for this year, and it's a helpful one as we enter into 2021. The question that Isaiah 61.10 to 62.5 is helping us to address is this. How do we respond to the arrival of Jesus in the world when most of what we see around us is still a mess? Um, or maybe a little bit more acutely, more accurately, is, is how do we wait in this time while we anticipate Jesus' return, his second advent? 
So two days ago, we celebrated God coming to earth as one of us, as a child with a mission to settle things right, to usher in peace on earth, to enable reconciliation. And today we woke up and we're still in the middle of a pandemic and we're still trying to figure out how to navigate a world that is divided by race and politics and greed and violence. And for many of us, we're mourning countless losses that have stacked up over this year. We've had the loss of loved ones, the loss of jobs, the loss of healthy routines, and the loss of regular interaction with other people. Into this, Isaiah offers us a challenge, a challenge to press into two things. First thing is to worship, and the second thing is bold, expectant, intimate prayer. And as Isaiah pushes us towards these two things, it's something that unites us to God and his mission to the world. These shape our purpose in the face of the challenges that are before us. So what I want us to grasp this morning is, is that Isaiah invites us to worship and prayer that unites us to God's mission to the world. And first, uh, what we're going to start with is God's mission to the world. And we're going to spend a little bit more time just kind of digging into that, um, digging into why did Jesus come? Um, what is God concerned with? And we're going to pay close attention to what Isaiah in particular tells us about that, because that actually forms the context for our passage. So we'll jump around a little bit in Isaiah before we really dig into the text that, that's in front of us. Um, so if you do have a Bible, you can, can follow, follow along. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. So he lived probably about 2,800 years ago. Um, during his life, he was constantly calling God's people back to him, back to God. Israel was worshiping other gods and making idols and making alliances with nations that were questionable and basically doing whatever they wanted to do, basically trusting anything other than God. And so Isaiah, as a prophet, was tasked with speaking the words of God to his people. Words of warning against turning away from God and then the destruction and pain and judgment that comes from that. Words of instruction on how to walk with God and embrace the good things God wanted to give them. And words of hope, words describing the character of God and his desire for peace and restoration and flourishing for his people. And if I were try to, to try and sum up how Isaiah describes God's mission, um, his purpose, I would say that God's mission is a mission of justice and righteousness that leads to peace. And there are three very important ideas in Isaiah that all interact with each other. There's justice and there's righteousness and there's peace. This is important for our, us to understand uh, our, our section of Isaiah 61 and 62 because our passage um, is right in a part of Isaiah that is describing the peace part of God's purposes in all of this. So here's, here's what I mean. If we take the entire book of Isaiah, so all 66 chapters of it, it's a big book, and we find that it divides into three sections. Section one is Isaiah chapters one to 39. It covers the period of history that most of Isaiah's ministry occurred in, and concerns itself mostly with events that had an immediate impact in Isaiah's time. It was a time when God's people were questioning who God is. 
looking to other gods and nations and idols for guidance and security. And they were slowly being taken over by the empires of Assyria and Babylon. And so it was during this time, Isaiah was tasked with calling people back to God. And the primary way that he did it was calling people to pursue justice. The opening charge of Isaiah, uh, the opening charge in Isaiah that he makes to God's people, uh, we find in chapter one, verses 16 to 17, these words. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. He's basically saying, look out for the most vulnerable in society. Those are being taken advantage of. Um, how you treat them reveals what's in your heart. Okay, so that, that's section one. Um, section one is basically a call for God's people to pursue justice. The second section of Isaiah is chapters 40 to 55, and they actually flip the script on us. We move forward a bit in time here, and now Israel is in, a, in captivity. So Babylon has actually taken them into exile. Um, and all the warnings from the first part of the book, the calls to pursue justice have not been heeded, and it's judgment time. So section two is all about God enacting justice. If his people won't do it, he will see to it. And if his people are on the sides of the oppressors, they're going to face judgment too. And, and this is exile. This is being under the judgment of God who sees to it that justice is served. So section one is a call for God's people to pursue justice. Section two of Isaiah is God enacts justice. The last section of Isaiah, the shortest bit, is chapters 56 to 66. And this moves us forward in time, way forward, looking forward to a time of restoration and a time of peace. It's a time where all things are made new. So Isaiah 65, 17, for example, says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. Now, this is language that will be taken up by the Apostle John by the end of the book of Revelation, the last book that we have in our Bible. It's in this last section of Isaiah that there's still a call for justice. It's a call for the righting of the wrongs. The whole section starts off with these words in Isaiah 56, 1. It says, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. So we start things off in this section with a call to justice, but it's paired with righteousness and salvation. And that all those things together are important for understanding our passage because our passage is right in the middle of this last section. But we're going to return to that in a moment. There's one key difference between this section of Isaiah that we're in and the two that came before it. The difference is that justice is now being done by God and his people, and they're cooperating together for the flourishing of the entire cosmos, the new heavens and the new earth. God and humanity in this vision of peace are reconciled together, and everything benefits from this. The word that we are given to describe this reconciliation between God and humanity and the rest of creation is peace um, or, or shalom. And it's this sense of deep well-being that permeates everything. 
And that's why in our passage in, in Isaiah 61, 62, we have images such as the earth sprouting forth roots and those roots also being righteousness and praise. There's talk of salvation and wedding imagery and a whole mess of metaphors, all trying to articulate the awesomeness of what has happened. The emphasis on justice in Isaiah has given way to peace. And we're gonna dig more into what is going on here in a moment, just to see what this peace is all about. Because this is, this is where Christmas comes in. This is where Jesus is coming into the world comes in. So we see that in Isaiah, there is a movement um, from a call for God's people to pursue justice in the first section, to God enacting justice himself in the second section, to God and his people keeping justice in a way that's characterized by peace. Now, now I know this year, justice has been a prominent issue in our culture. Um, racial justice, policing, politics, it, it's all been in your face. And this year, I did something for the first time ever. I signed up for Spotify. And you didn't think that's where I was going, did you? For, for those of you who uh, don't know what Spotify is, uh, it's, it's this music streaming service that you subscribe to monthly, and then you can stream almost any kind of music you can think of. And I'm not really sure why it took me this long to get into Spotify, because I'm one of those guys who, back when I had a car, um, I used to have like a six-disc CD changer in the trunk of my car and a binder of 200 CDs with me wherever I went. And before that, I was that guy who would make mixtapes on my dual cassette tape deck on my home stereo. So um, um, I've, I've kind of followed the whole gamut of music uh, technology. But, but anyways, um, Spotify uh, this year has, or Spotify, I think every year, I know this year, they have this kind of year-end wrap-up thing that they do where they tell you what your top musical genres and um, what your top songs for the year were. I have no idea why, but you know, these, th this is like my language. I love these lists. They've just, they just fascinate me and uh, way more than they should. But, but, but all I have to say is um, my, I, I looked at my top played songs and the top played song for the year on my playlist was a song called Baltimore by Prince. And it's a song of lament and hope. Uh, that was penned in the wake of the shootings by police officers of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and Freddie Gray in Baltimore, Maryland, and the unrest that followed about five or six years ago. Um, it's a song that expresses a longing for peace and justice. And there's part of the song that is, is more like a chant, and it simply goes, if there ain't no justice, then there ain't no peace. Now, over the, the past six months or so, if you've been anywhere near any of the protests that have sprung up in the wake of what happened to George Floyd here in the United States, um, or if you've seen them on the news, you've, you've probably heard something along the lines of no justice, no peace being shouted from the crowds. And, and depending on the nature of the particular crowd, you probably heard other things being shouted, some more negative and some more hopeful. I have a number of friends uh, who played a part in organizing prayer marches in the city, in New York City here, and I got to participate in a couple of those. And, and they, they had the, these marches um, as a witness for the church. Um, so the church would have a presence in the city here to speak up in the wake of injustice, 
but also to hold up a, a more hopeful posture to the world. Um, and to just, just kind of be present and point to the hope that we have in Jesus. And so that, that refrain, um, if there ain't no justice, then there ain't no peace. That's actually something you can probably picture the prophet Isaiah chanting. Yet there's something more. There, there, there's something missing here in all of this. And there's something that holds together justice and peace that Isaiah always brings into the conversation. And why it's so important for the church to be concerned with justice. Now, when I started out, I said there are three important things in Isaiah. Justice, righteousness, and peace. We haven't really touched on righteousness yet. So that's the last bit I need to have a little word on to round out God's mission. Righteousness is what holds together justice and peace. Now, if you think about the three sections of Isaiah that I mentioned earlier, first one, a call for God's people to pursue justice. The second one, um, the middle part of Isaiah, God enacting justice. And the third one, God and his people together ensuring justice. You'll find that some Bible teachers will, will label those sections a little bit differently. And they'll name them something like Isaiah 1 to 39 is defining righteousness. And Isaiah 40 to 55 is about experiencing righteousness. And Isaiah 56 to 66 is about doing righteousness. And so rather than focusing on justice, they focus on righteousness. And they aren't wrong in emphasizing righteousness. It's, it's a really prominent theme in Isaiah. The thing is that quite often in Isaiah, when he mentions justice, he also mentions righteousness in the very same breath. Righteousness follows closely on the heels of justice. And there's something about justice and righteousness that they just go hand in hand. So for example, if we take a passage from Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7, which is a common Christmas time passage, um, which points us to Jesus, it reads as follows. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, we got the peace part, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. There's justice and righteousness held together from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts, Lord of hosts will do this. So we see all three things coming together, justice, righteousness, and peace. And they're all centered around this child that is to be born, who we now know as Jesus. Righteousness, in its simplest terms, is, is rightly ordered relationship. Right, righteousness is about bringing together that which has been separated. It's setting things right between God and humanity. It's dealing with the separation between God and us that our sin creates. And it's also setting things right between us and other people. And so there's actually a correlation with justice in the meaning of righteousness. Think of righteousness as that which holds things in proper relationship with each other and creates the conditions for justice to be met and peace to flourish. And so God's mission is all about bringing peace to us. But peace doesn't happen 
without both justice and righteousness being dished out. Peace isn't just warm, fuzzy feelings as we hold hands. It comes from the hard work of justice and reconciliation. And fortunately, God is all about that hard work and, and bringing us into it. That's the core of what Jesus does when he grows up and he gets nailed to a cross. He is reconciling God and humanity and paving the way to reconciling us with each other and the whole of creation. The Apostle Paul even calls Jesus our righteousness in his first letter to the Corinthian church. And so I said at the very beginning of the sermon that this mission of God, we're, we're called to participate in it. And we're united to Jesus in this mission of peace through worship and prayer. So, so that's what I said. Um, what do I mean by all of this? So we're getting into Isaiah 61, 10 to 62, Remember that, that this passage is right in the middle of that third section of Isaiah that is all about the future vision of God restoring all things. The main point, the highlight of everything is right in chapters 60 to 62. And that's right where we are in this reading. And just before our passage, we have some words that Jesus actually read at the start of his ministry as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus reading from the beginning of Isaiah 61. They pulled out the scroll in the synagogue and he reads from it and he says, today this is fulfilled in your, in your presence. He's claiming that he's the long-awaited savior that his people have been looking for, the one who will bring about justice and righteousness for all and usher in a time of peace. Jesus, whose birth we celebrated a few days ago, is the focal point for the reconciliation of God and humanity. And when we look to the Gospels, the, the records of Jesus's life, we see him doing these things described in Isaiah, proclaiming good news to the poor, right? Justice is here. I'm setting you free. We see uh, him talking to the woman who has an issue of blood. He says, I'm restoring your dignity. I'm healing you. He, he, we see him with the blind man or with a leper, and he's he says, I'm restoring you to participate in community. But I'm doing more than that. I'm doing more than just what you think you need. I'm setting you free and healing you at the level of your broken alienation from God. And then in the wake of Jesus's death and resurrection, we see communities of Jesus's followers springing up. People who have encountered this Jesus who has mended their broken lives and made them whole. And these communities, we, we eventually call them churches, uh, they, they become witnesses to the Roman Empire and then to the whole world, witnessing to who Jesus is and what he's all about. We have communities that care for people when there's a pandemic that's decim decimating Rome. Um, we have communities of Jews and Gentiles who would sit down and eat together when that was unthinkable year, uh, just a few years before. We see Paul, um, a religious leader who once sanctioned the execution of Christians, he becomes the most vocal proponent for including non-Jewish people among the people of God and writes a good chunk of our New Testament. And so our passage, 
Our passage is a response to all of this. It's a response to Jesus. Jesus in whom justice and righteousness and peace are all bound up together. Our passage is part of a slightly longer set of verses that are a series of actually five responses to the presence and work of the long promised savior of the world. So we have that section that Jesus read in Isaiah, and we have five responses laid out through Isaiah 61 and 62. And our passage is response number two and three. We're giving the response of worship and the response of bold, expectant, intimate prayer. So finally, um, let me read uh, our, our, our passage. Let me read the worship bit in Isaiah 61, 10 to 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. All right, do, do, do you feel this, this great rejoicing, right? My soul shall exult in the Lord. Isaiah is bursting into poetry in this reading. This is worship and it's flowing out of a present reality that brings hope. If you notice the verb tense in verse 10, he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. We're given this image that we are dressed up for something. We have been gifted the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. This is what Jesus does, right? You want to be about justice in the world. You want to be a person of peace. Um, you want to face the time we are in with hope instead of despair. Jesus gifts us salvation by making things right with God. He takes everything we've ever done that is twisted and harmful and selfish and takes on the end result of those dispositions and actions and through his death reunites you to God and himself. And, and, and this, this is cause for celebration. This is cause for worship. This is the excitement that Isaiah is look, was looking ahead to. And, and the imagery takes on that of a wedding. A bridegroom decks himself with a headdress and a bride adorns herself with jewels. We're getting to what we're, we're going to be getting at to what we're dressing up for, but we're actually not at the full wedding celebration yet. Now, the verb tense shifts by the end of verse 11. The earth itself is caught up in this posture of worship, sprouting up life everywhere. And we see that the Lord will cause this righteousness and praise to happen as a witness to all of the nations of the world. And this is open to everybody who would receive it. And it, it's with that image that we move into the second response. As we're moving into the second response, there's, there's a tension that's emerging. There's a sense of what has happened, the gift of salvation, right? Jesus offers that to us. That's why he came. There, there, there's, there's a tension between that and then and what will happen. There's this already not yet aspect to the vision of justice and reconciliation and peace. 
from our point right here where we're sitting or where we're standing, uh, we, we look back 2000 years and we see that Jesus has come and on his shoulders are all the expectations of Isaiah, peace, righteousness, justice. And Jesus accomplishes that. But right now we're meeting for church on Zoom in the middle of the pandemic. Like, like what gives? As we, we, we look at, at this reality, um, we start to feel, start to see and feel kind of the same thing that people in Isaiah's day would have been feeling as they listened to his words. This vision of our savior, the Messiah, it's glorious, but life is still hard. And in some cases it's downright terrible. And remember that for God's people, when Isaiah spoke these words, um, they were in exile. Right? They'd been scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire. And then as Babylon fell, uh, the Roman Empire would come into power after that. And right on up into the time of Jesus, God's people remained under occupation. And even as they, they would read Isaiah's words, it's still like, well, that looks awesome. That sounds awesome. But how long? Like, I, I don't see all of it yet. I don't see any of it yet. We, we see this tension evident in the concern for Zion that kicks off our second response, right? It's this response of bold, expectant, intimate prayer. So first worship and then prayer. Let me read the next verse, um, Isaiah 62, verse one. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Now, Zion is a name for the city of Jerusalem, uh, and, and it's, it's the most important city in the, the ancient, um, uh, in, in, in Israel back in Jesus' day, and it's still a fairly important city now. But, but more specifically, um, Zion came to represent uh, the, the hill on which the temple was located. Um, and the temple, uh, the, the center of Jewish worship was there. Right. And the temple represented God's presence with his people. One of the most catastrophic events of when God's people were forced into exile was when the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple. And so here we are given an image of hope, one of restoration. Zion, the, the place where God is, um, it, it is God's supposed to shine forth again. The salvation and righteousness of God is going to be on display for all people to see now. It's, it's a light to the world, but it's not fully realized yet. Isaiah, in this section, he's voicing God's people. Um, he's not going to keep silent, though. He won't stop worshiping God. And, and, and it's from this worshiping of God that, that this transforms into a prayer that is declaring what it will be like when everything is made new and whole and right again. Isaiah is voicing a prayer of the people to God, but it's a prayer of expectation that everyone is to hear about, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's boldly speaking out truth, even though when you look around, it doesn't seem like God has got things under control. It's, it's kind of like a prayer that's just declaring what's going to be, and it's meant to be overheard. Um, it's even addressing God at points, right? The restoration of all things is not complete yet. We're stuck in this in-between time. 
but the prayer becomes a declaration, an expression of trust in what God will do. Verse two, it says, uh, the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. You shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so your son shall marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That's a whole mess of stuff that's going on that's just crammed together with images. But in this declaration, the preparation for a wedding that we saw at the end of chapter 61 becomes the image of a wedding. And, and the placement of crowns in verse three is actually part of a wedding ceremony. The taking of a new name is also part of the wedding ceremony. And, and the effect of righteousness is made clear in being brought into right, restored relationship with God. One is brought into the most intimate of relationships. And the metaphor of a wedding mixes and changes back and forth, which is it's basically what Isaiah does throughout the whole book. In one verse, it's personal. You shall be no longer termed forsaken. And then right away, it extends beyond that, encompassing all of the land. And then your land will not be termed desolate. And instead of being forsaken and desolate, there's new names that are given. Names that are, my delight is in her and married. Have you ever thought about the fact that God delights in his people when you pray? Or at the end of verse five, where God rejoices over his people. This future hope that's expressed in wedding imagery is one that's picked up on in the New Testament. The church is often referred to as the bride of Christ. And so in this image, we, God's people, have been united to Christ. Yet we still await the final celebration, the consummation, the wedding feast that signifies that all things are well. So there is a sense where what we experience now in prayer with God is a foretaste of what will come when Jesus returns to fully realize the restoration of all things, the new heavens and the new earth. But there's a sense where we pray into that reality that has yet to be fully realized. It's part of what we pray when we pray, your kingdom come in the Lord's prayer. We long for all things to be made new and to be set right. And as we pray, we, we live into this reality. It's how we hold advocating for justice and longing for peace together. Um, it is in an intimate unity with Jesus made possible by righteousness. All right. So it's time to land the sermon. Um, and what I want to do um, to, 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 end our time is I want to just return to that image of Zion as we close our time. Jesus calls us to join him in his mission of justice and righteousness that leads to peace. We respond to Jesus's call to do so first by simply accepting what he offers, entering into what he's doing, but then we're sustained and held through whatever tough things lie ahead as we witness to justice and righteousness and peace through worshiping Jesus and engaging in bold, expectant, intimate prayer. And we're given a vision of what we're longing for right at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, 
It's actually based on Isaiah. And I'm just going to read this passage for you. Um, and, and I want us to just sit with this image as we go into our, our time of singing and prayer. But remember that um, as it's Christmas, um, we remember God coming to dwell with humanity in Jesus as a baby, but we look forward to Jesus returning to make all things new. So listen to the words of Revelation uh, chapter 21, one to five, um, voicing the hope that we have. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.